But put simply, the aim is really to mobilize global action to tackle the climate change and keep track of progress uh, that's been made by individual countries. You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this series. In today's conversation, we're going to get an update on COP28, which is ongoing. What is it? Why is it important? And what are the most likely outcomes from this year's meeting? Joining me today is Lori Esposito-Murray, the president of the Committee for Economic Development of the Conference Board. Lori, welcome. Uh, thank you, Steve, and very happy to be here to have this very important discussion with you. Well, Lori, you were there. You were in Dubai at the COP meeting, and you've just come back, and we want to hear about your experience. But just before we do that, can you just give us a little background? What is COP, and why is it important? When did it start, and so forth? So COP, Steve, refers to, it's the United Nations Annual Conference on Climate Change. It's its 28th meeting. It happens yearly for the most part. And uh, this year it's in Dubai. The formal name of the meeting is the Conference of Parties of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. So that's the formal name. But put simply, the aim is really to mobilize global action to tackle the climate change and keep track of progress uh, that's been made by individual countries countries. And that's a very important aspect this year at COP. It started in 1995. Uh, the first COP was in Berlin. Some of the major achievements have been the Kyoto Agreement of 1997, and of course, the Paris Accord of 2016. And now the main focus, uh, you know, as had mentioned, is really mobilizing global action to implement the Paris Accord's uh, goals. So it's COP is the Conference of Parties, and this is all part of the United Nations. This was COP28, which means that it's the 28th time that right. this has been generally annually. That's what, And so that's what that means. I think people have probably been reading the headline COP28 and just wondering, what the heck does that mean? So it's just really pretty simple uh, on that. But the goals are, the goals really have been pretty consistent, Laurie, over the years, haven't they? From the start in the 90s till now. Right. They they have been, uh, Stephen, uh, it is focused on what is seen and believed to be by the United Nations, uh, the most important global issue facing uh, our entire global community, which is climate change, its impact. I, I should mention that uh, there were 198 parties to the, to the UN uh, United Nations Framework Conventions that attend COP. Uh, they come with their delegations. There are about 70,000 attendees there. The delegations are complemented by uh, leaders in business, business organizations, civil societies, organizations are there. It is really quite an event. Yeah, it sounds like you could uh, actually reduce a lot of carbon if you didn't do the meeting. 70,000 people and all the travel and all the hot air that comes out of it. But it is an important subject, which is how do you how do you tackle uh, climate change and what impact that uh, humankind is having on climate change, right? I mean, that's really the, the primary focus. Right. And it's the largest annual meeting convened by the United Nations. It trumps the General Assembly meetings in New York. Just out of curiosity, how did they decide where to have it? This year it was in Dubai. 
Uh, so it rotates, Steve, among the five regions, the United Nations five regions. And what might be a little confusing is last year was in Egypt, this year is in the UAE. That sounds both like the Middle East, but Egypt was representing Africa, and each region decides uh, which, where specifically it would be held within their region, and, and there are proposals set forth uh, as, as this year with the UAE. Some people have kind of raised the subject, well, you know, a lot of this is about getting rid of fossil fuels, and yet you have this in the Middle East, which is the primary producer of fossil fuels. Isn't that just slightly wrong? What, you know, what, what's your view on that? Well, that is a really controversial aspect of this year's COP28 uh, and being held in the UAE, one of the major oil uh, producing uh, petrochemical companies, uh, countries in the world, and it's being chaired by uh, Dr. Sultan Jamed Al Jabar, who is the head of the national oil company in the UAE. Uh, environmentalist Al Gore uh, didn't attend because he uh, was uh, criticized the fact that it was taking place in the UAE and it was being uh, the president of the of COP was the head of the national oil company. But Steve, my personal view on this, as well as, and it's shared by uh, a number of delegations uh, attending, uh, it's widely shared that you can't move forward in this effort to combat climate control unless you actually work with the producers of fossil fuels, you work with the countries that are are uh, invested in that production. You've got to work hand in hand. You've got to work collaboratively. And the, what's really significant about the UAE uh, actually leading is leading this effort in terms of uh, this year's COP is actually they have been very much uh, forward leaning on um, uh, the transition in terms of climate issues and energy and the transition to green energy. So it's a country that one number of things uh, are really important as far as uh, climate challenges. They are a shoreline country. They are dealing with extensive heat in the in their country as well as in the region. Uh, there has been very clear recognition by the UAE that they need to be uh, forward-looking and strategic thinkers, and they've been investing heavily in uh, decarbonization and that and recognize the need that. Uh, fossil fuels are a limited uh, resource and that they need to transition their economy They, if they are going to continue to prosper uh, in the global economy. Yeah, I, I know that, you know, from an activist perspective, you know, they, they go after oil companies or fossil fuel producers and their point of view is shut them down. But, you know, literally we would be back in the Stone Age if that happened. And so I think your point is really important, which is there needs to be a transition here, an orderly planned transition from fossil fuel um, use in the development of energy and transportation to the alternatives. And, and I think that's what this was all about, is how do you affect this orderly transition? Well, and the, and the obviously the uh, companies and the countries that have most to lose if uh, the transition isn't orderly, because fossil fuels are a limited resource, or obviously the, the countries and the companies heavily invested in our current forms of energy really have to be leaders. If they if they are forward thinkers and they recognize what's happening, not only in terms of uh, climate, which is, uh, you know, we have real existential problems there, but in terms of uh, the economy, they need to be leaders in terms of transitions and they, and they have the resources to invest. And you're seeing that in the UAE. I mean, they started these investments actually under Dr. Al-Jabbar 
uh, in 2006. It's something that UAE has recognized early in, in, in this trajectory of uh, the problems with climate change and the need for an energy transition. Okay, so you were in the meetings. Um, so, you know, and I don't know how much of it is, uh, is, is private versus public, but share with us what you can about, you know, the, the, what you heard, what was discussed, you know, what are, what, what's new in, um, in, in what everybody's committing to do. So I was attending the business and philanthropy meetings and this, they were two days. And as I said, the first two days are when the national leaders come in and, you know, we, uh, King Charles's speech got a lot of coverage. Uh, the president of uh, COP28 speech, uh, Dr. Al-Jabar had got a lot of coverage. Uh, that's when the national leaders come in. And uh, it's also the first two days they held these business and philanthropy meetings. And so those were the meetings that I was in. And what's interesting, uh, Steve, is that uh, it has taken, this is the 28th uh, COP, it has taken a very long time for the uh, countries that participate, obviously, in the UN uh, framework meetings, in these COP meetings, to recognize the need to include business in these decisions going forward on how to tackle, uh, how to set uh, goals for for emissions, how to tackle the climate challenge, and it's taken a, a long time, but they're they're actually finally getting there. And this business and philanthropy meetings were part of that. There were some really interesting discussions. I, one of the ones that that I found most interesting is uh, the fact that we are all very excited about the technology innovations that are happening in Gen AI and quantum computing. Uh, these are very very heavily energy sourced. Uh, uh, technologies going forward, and uh, you know what are the leading uh, tech companies doing in terms of trying to make sure that uh, they are staying on a pathway uh, towards uh, net zero? And we heard from Brad Smith, who is you know part of the conference board, as you know, uh, from Microsoft, uh, as well as from Amazon. Ron O'Hanley, who uh, is a former TCB board of trustee member, was actually the moderator of that session. So, uh, you know, a number of the business leaders that are very familiar with the, that the conference board works with and are very familiar to all of us uh, were participating in these sessions. And I, I thought that was one of the most interesting ones. They're talking about carbon markets, the importance of carbon markets, also a critical issue uh, and how to establish those so that they're effective and and uh, working to achieve the goals. So so really interesting series of, of uh, uh, two days of meetings. Right. Ron O'Hanley, the uh, CEO of State Street, which is one of the largest investors in the world. So, uh, you know, important player in all this. So it sounds like you had you had a lot of discussion about about the current status. Now, you know, the goals were to limit the increase, the average increase in global temperatures to what two degrees centigrade, and and we're starting to read that 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 in fact is not something that's going to be possible since we are already at that level. Did did you talk about that in these meetings? Oh uh, well, actually, that is pretty much a significant part of not only what has happened uh, in terms of COP twenty eight, but but in terms of what is going to happen over the next, uh, they go the meetings go on for. Uh, this week and next. And, and that's when the uh, state parties get together and actually try and figure out the pathway ahead and what the goals are. And it started, and one of the most significant things about this 
COP this year was the fact that they they have done a an assessment of of what are the where where do we stand uh, since the Paris Agreement, the Paris Accord? Where do we stand in terms of uh, what progress we have made? And and this is it's the it's really laying out those benchmarks of what has been accomplished, an important part of this COP. And uh, what's interesting here is that the UN reported uh, from those from those uh, uh, from that data that they believe we're already at 1.4 degrees. So just to give a little background on that, the Paris Agreement laid out a, an increase in two degrees centigrade uh, from the pre-industrial period in terms of uh, temperature uh, of, the cl- uh, of the globe. And, and then in uh, a subsequent COP in 2021, COP20, COP21, the goal was laid out to actually aim for 1.5 degrees centigrade increase in global temperatures. Well, the UN reported uh, just prior to this COP that they believe that we've already hit 1.4 degrees centigrade, which to that goal of 1.5. And so that would be, in order to stay with the 1.5 goal, you would have to be looking at greenhouse gas emissions uh, being cut by 43% by 2030 compared to 2019 levels, which is a really significant and dramatic cut. So. It started with uh, basically that bad news about where we are and where we need to go uh, to reach reach the 1.5 degrees centigrade. Uh, and uh, but remember that the Paris Agreement has the increase of of two degrees centigrade. Uh, so that has really been the main focus uh, of the launch of the meeting in terms of you know what the goals are going to be, how are we going to get there, how are we going to do some really significant decreases in emis- uh, emissions, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, and ha- how do you achieve it and what's needed? And and the commitment by the UAE in terms of hosting COP was that they recognized the need uh, to, to move out on this, to move out on this quickly, and wanted really tangible agreements and goals set uh, by the end of this COP. We're talking about this COP28 meetings that are happening in Dubai. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the conference board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. Membership at the conference board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a conference board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Dr. Lori Esposito-Murray, the president of the Committee for Economic Development of the Conference Board. Okay, so Lori, we were talking right before the break about this um, this, this two-degree goal and the fact that we're probably already one and a half degrees there. So what, what does that really mean? Does that mean that we're, you know, we just are not going, to, by 2050, we're just not going to be able to stay within that two-degree 
goal that was set a few years back? Well, it's the goal is still to stay within that two degree goal. And it really is going to take a significant commitment. And and the whole point of COP28 and and the leadership of the UAE in terms of hosting this uh, was to really come out of the box strong in terms of trying to start setting out uh, important pathways, important commitments uh, to uh, stay within the Paris uh, Climate Agreement Accord. Yeah. Okay. So now then the question is, what are we going to do about it? Right. So, you know, we've been talking about reducing carbon emissions and, you know, that clearly that's still, that's still part of it, but um, several announcements have been made already uh, as it relates to that and nuclear energy. Why don't you just tick off, you know, what they have said so far? Uh, Yeah. And it's been very interesting uh, in terms of uh, leadership and it's leadership that's being shared among the key principal nations, the key principal emitters. So the first and foremost was the uh, loss damage fund. And that was an issue that uh, really was outstanding from COP27. It was very controversial in COP27. And what's the loss damage fund? It's, It's really helping those countries uh, that have not been involved in uh, the the emissions of uh, greenhouse gases, uh, but have been suffering the consequences. And so a loss damage fund was set up and uh, with the first announcement out of the box uh, by the president of COP28 was that uh, there would, that the UAE itself would contribute a hundred million to the loss damage fund and, and um, loss and damage fund and that 70 million uh, was pledged. Uh, the U.S. is in that mix, and we pledged uh, uh, Senator, uh, or excuse me, our, our climate envoy, uh, John Kerry, former Senator Kerry, uh, pledged $17.5 million on behalf of the U.S. So the goal is a $700 million pledge and to actually fulfill that goal, which was part of the controversy coming out of Egypt. So that's, that's the damage fund that's been uh, announced. There's also some announcement on the uh, use of nuclear energy. Yeah, uh, I do want to mention first, too, that Climate financing is a key piece of this, and they also announced a $250 billion fund uh, for climate financing, of which uh, the UAE committed $30 billion uh, in announcing that fund. So that's also very important because that's there to fund this transition uh, to clean energy uh, to help expedite it. Uh, But the nuclear agreement was also uh, uh, one of the first out of the box, and um, There you have the United States and and 21 other countries uh, pledged to write on on the Saturday, right? Pledged that they would uh, triple their nuclear energy capacity by 2050. Uh, Pretty significant considering that uh, the whole, as you know, particularly in the US, the nuclear energy component uh, has not been growing, has been decreasing and um, uh, over the years and this was a commitment by the U.S. and 21 other countries that they're going to triple nuclear energy capacity by 2050, obviously focusing on uh, the new technologies that are out there in terms of nuclear energy. Well, this has been a conundrum because the activists have, of course, wanted to get rid of fossil fuels in use in electricity production. At the same time, they protested the use of nuclear in electricity production. At the same time, they've trying to convert the entire transportation fleet for you know automobiles, trains, planes to electric. And so that equation doesn't work w- in, unless you relinquish the, you know, the constraints on nuclear, of course, because nuclear 
is of, is carbon free and it provides that stable base of power that renewables which are episodic need in order to to you know to give us a reliable system otherwise you know <laughs> sun goes down and you know you've got so much battery storage but you you really you can't guarantee day to day that you've got um, the electricity we need to to run the country so so nuclear becomes pretty important but how does how do the activists then react to that? I guess, you know, we they they want renewables. Everybody wants, you know, wind and sun. Got it. But wind and sun can't get there. So um, are they kind of giving in on nuclear and saying, yeah, this is uh, we were wrong and uh, we absolutely need nuclear? What did you hear? Uh, well, there's a, obviously a lot of controversy. This this is this is a piece of it, but I think there's a recognition, you know, to the points that you just made as to how do you get to the your 2050 goal, and a recognition of the need and the urgency uh, in terms of having to transition to clean energy, plus the demands that uh, part of the answers to that equation is clean electricity. So the demands that that's going to place on clean electricity and the fact that there's new technology uh, that is supposed to be safer, much more manageable and safer. And so a combination of all those is what led to this agreement. And, and 22 countries were willing to step up and make that commitment and um, uh, actually yeah. highlight and profile the importance of nuclear energy in this well it sounds like we're making good progress there because it, it it is it is the primary requirement and the conference board has written on this that 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 it, it must we we have to adopt nuclear in order to achieve both the goals of a reliable energy system as well as the need to get to a carbon-free uh, environment so that's a that's a big deal yeah you know, there are also other technologies that you talked about uh, you know from a funding standpoint and primary in that is by battery technology right i don't know if, if they got to that point or discussed that in detail but you know the batteries uh have required you know lithium of course and rare earth minerals that are controlled by you know a relative few nations the supplies are limited and of course the mining of that is economically uh, ecologically uh, damaging as well. So you've got you've got a conundrum there. But there are some new technologies using sodium-based batteries and others that use common, commonly um, commonly uh, available minerals and supplies that uh, that hold some degree of promise. Um, any further discussion on that? Well, that's that's a key part, that, especially the R and D piece of this in terms of uh, funding the startups. Uh, and also funding um, uh, companies that be on the startup level that have some uh, very viable alternatives to make sure that they are alternatives and then how to scale them up. That's all part of the uh, climate financing and a significant part of it, trying to find these alternative technologies to solve these problems and then to scale them up. Yeah. Any, um, any other announcements or agreements that you see coming? Well, I was going to say there was one other announcement uh, that has been made, which is on methane, where you had some 50 oil and gas companies um, pledging to shore up, uh, uh, their, basically to clean up, shore up their leaky methane systems by 2030. This is really significant. As you know, Steve, uh, methane's contribution to global warming is about 80 times that of uh, CO2. Now, CO2, carbon uh, dioxide is three quarters of the global uh, warming problem. It lasts thousands of years. But actually tackling this methane problem, uh, given uh, its 
a much higher impact on global warming, even and it's a even though it's a shorter lived uh, greenhouse gas, uh, short of much shorter lifetime, about a decade uh, greenhouse gas. But cleaning it up is a is a is critical and is a fast and uh, rapid way of trying to address uh, the increase in in temperatures. Uh, so this was really significant, and I, I would say overdue. Uh, and uh, basically that commitment happening, I think is pretty fundamental in terms of helping to keep us on track uh, if that's possible for at least a two degree um, increase, centigrade increase in uh, global temperatures. And, you know, late night communities have a field day with this methane um, discussion because it, a lot of it is due to livestock issuance. Uh, and you know, so therefore, they go well. You know what are you going to do? So, so there is the move to, to to less livestock consumption and raising. But, but there are new things that are happening. Um, if, you know, for example, there are uh, additives that you can put into live food. You know, the the feed for livestock that actually significantly cuts the the methane output and hurt the livestock. Doesn't have any residual uh, impact. You know, for the food chain. But you know these are things that hadn't been really thought about before. But but when you when you really do get into the issue, um, there are there's there are things we can do. Yeah, and representatives of those sectors uh, are in Dubai, and they're all part of this discussion and uh, part of the methane discussion. And so, if you're looking for uh, the value of these uh, 28 COP meetings and are they important, it really is, I think, in terms of a bringing together. Uh, collaboratively, all of the aspects and all of the stakeholders in these issues who can actually play a role in, in finding solutions uh, is significant. Well, you know, we've, we've been debating what the value of the United Nations is, you know, off and on. One, one is, of course, that uh, one objective we had when it was formed was world peace. But, but I think tackling these issues that affect the globe uh, are, you know, really pretty high up on the, on the priority list. And it seems like this is one that uh, nations have come together on and the convening by the United Nations with COP, with COP28 and, and the 27 before that, are, and the next 27 that are gonna happen are really important because you need you do need agreement. Otherwise, all you do is you push the cost uh, to some nations and you let some nations skate. And it really takes every nation, uh, especially the largest um, polluters to to deal with this. Um, any, any, you know, China and India have have kind of risen to the top of that that list. Any specific conversation with those countries? What's really uh, important here is uh, in in terms of um, uh, this particular COP is is what is being called. Uh, you know, I said they were measuring where we are and what the what each country is doing with their national programs. And that's the global stock take. And so uh, to use their official name for that effort. And, and that's why COP28 is significant. And to, so you're looking at every national, every uh, nation's plan and looking at it as a whole and deciding what needs to be done and who needs to do what. And obviously, China and India are, are absolutely key in this, in this climate transition. 
there was progress made, as as you know, in San Francisco uh, at the bilaterals between President Biden uh, and uh, Xi Jinping, uh, as far as discussing working collaboratively on climate agreements coming into this meeting. Uh, in terms of where we're looking to see when we come out or the commitments that China and India make, uh, they have a longer timeline than the U.S. to reach uh, uh, net zero. Our goal is 2050. They're, they're a little bit farther out. But uh, that is something to really keep keep an eye on in terms of uh, how we come out of this as major emitters. Uh, what are the what are the commitments they're making and what type of solutions are we coming up with in terms of greenhouse gas emissions and the future of fossil fuels, the future of coal uh, as a as a source of energy, which China um, is heavily invested in, so all really important issues over the over the next um, uh, several days and week. Okay. And any last thoughts before we close? Well, you know, I would say that one of the major takeaways on on my part in terms of the significance of COP twenty eight and the climate issue and and dealing with this global challenge, the importance of um, uh, business as a part of the solution. And the frustration, but relief that that's finally being recognized as as significant. And so with all the criticism about uh, the UAE actually leading this, I think there really is a bright light here in terms of uh, COP recognizing, the COP process recognizing that business is an important part of the solution, that the companies and the countries that are heavily invested in fossil fuels need to be part of the solution. Uh, some of them are very well aware of the fact, uh, both companies and countries, that they are the biggest stakeholders in the solution, uh, that they need to have a solution because they either have to be ahead of the transition or, or uh, they're going to see, see uh, their own legacies uh, fail going forward. So the importance of uh, really recognizing the role of business, which obviously at the Committee for Economic Development, CED, and the conference board, you know, we have a particular um, uh, eye on, on that piece. And it's it's important to see uh, that this process, this very important process on climate change is recognizing that. The other piece of it too is, uh, you know, in terms of why is COP significant and the criticism of the expense of doing these large 70,000 people meetings versus uh, solving them some other way that uh, isn't so comprehensive is that uh, I really do think we've been that I'm very optimistic about the process and the progress in the sense that none of these accords are binding agreements. And we have been able to move as a global community to uh, raising the importance of this issue on a very high level uh, to have leaders uh, across the globe involved with leaders in the private sector and the civil sector, all working together to set benchmarks and goals uh, without any uh, agreements that are binding accords and uh, to be working on this collaboratively to try and deal with this uh, real challenge uh, with consequences um, if we don't deal with it that are very severe. So I thought it was very uh, encouraging to see uh, how the momentum has really built uh, in far as, a, as far as a collaborative effort to, to uh, deal with this global challenge. While we're watching two wars, one in Europe, Israel uh, at war with Hamas um, in the Middle East, uh, it really was uh, a counterpoint of uh, global collaboration on a very significant challenge. Dr. Lori Esposito-Murray, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Steve. And thanks to all of you for listening into CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. 
We'll cover the leading topics in geopolitics, economics, public policy, ESG, and a whole bunch more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues, your friends, your family, with anybody who cares at all about our planet. I'm Steve Allen, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.